0: Again, another special guest, a gentleman named Roy Yo. He's a Singaporean man, an ad man, a creative in the ad industry, who lives in China. So Roy, welcome to the show. Um, uh, maybe Thank you, you could Sorry, I cut you off. A little delay All here. Right. Um, uh, maybe you could introduce yourself a little bit more than what from what I've already said.
1: All right. So, okay, I'm Roy, Uh, I'm originally from Singapore, Uh, I've spent about, uh, well, I'm in the ad ad industry, um, and uh, I've spent a few years working in South Africa, uh, and uh, now in Shanghai, so I've uh, I've been in Shanghai for about, oh, damn, this is about my 18th year here now, so it's been a while, Um, and yeah, so uh, that's pretty much where I am at the moment. And it's it's been great so far this ride, but uh, kind of looking for something different at the moment. So
0: eighteen years in Shanghai, yeah. wow! So you've seen you've seen the transformation, but so you've spent some time in South Africa. So was it kind of a in and out of Shanghai sort of thing? Is that the lifestyle?
1: No, so that oh, I moved to South Africa back in nineteen ninety nine. So that was a long, long time ago and uh it, it was it's a very very different lifestyle compared to shanghai so <clears throat> coming from singapore you know where everything is uh it's pretty uptight um everything's by the book There's just rules everywhere so uh moving to south africa was a complete eye opener you know so it was raw cape town is, is pretty raw and um the thing is i couldn't get a work permit because um They had just abolished apartheid at that time. Nelson Mandela was president and uh, there was affirmative action going on. So unless I was a brain surgeon, um, I could not get a work permit. So I was there on a tourist visa, which lasted 30 days. So every four weekends, I had to drive eight hours to Namibia, spend a weekend there, drive back, and then go to work. And I did that for three years. it, it, it kind of grinds you down after a while. But if you told me today I could go back tomorrow, I'd do it.
0: So you haven't been back to that region since you were working there, though, is that correct? No, no,
1: I have not. It's, it's, it's a very insular uh, market, you know. So I went there when I was really junior. That was my, my second job. You know, I just bounced out of Singapore and went there. Um, so it was easy for me. I was cheap labor. Um, all I had to do was, you know, come up with ideas and execute a lot of other people's uh, well, ad- ideas, essentially. But I got to know the market really well at that time. Um, and I was quite a bit of a novelty as well. So you don't get a lot of foreigners, especially ones that look like this, um, rocking up in the marketplace and saying, hey, I need a job. So, um, yeah, it's it's something that I would recommend, especially when you're young and just starting out in your career, to, to try something different like that. Just, just do it. So I'm really curious
0: about the eight-hour drive, Namibia, the <laughs> yeah. Namibia-South Africa Trek that you did. What kind of vehicle were you in? What was the drive like? How was that? Oh,
1: my God. I was driving a really cheap car. It was... Uh, it was a Volkswagen Chico. I don't think you get that model outside of, of South Africa. And um, essentially, it's like a VW Golf, but frills-free. It, it had nothing. I didn't even have like a stereo at that time when, I first, when, when we first got the car. Because I went there with my ex-girlfriend. So she's South African who had been living in Singapore for about seven years at that time. And I had just left my job in Singapore and she was like, I want to go home. So I thought, well, I'm jobless. I've got nothing to do. I come with you. So, you know, like this dumb ass, I just packed my shit and went with her and um, it was just insane. So when I found out I had to do that, that eight hour drive in this really shitty car, every time I hit about a hundred, 110 kilometers an hour, the steering wheel would shake, you know, um, it was noisy as shit. And, uh, and I was just driving through Mostly desert. Uh, that was fuck all, and so the most dangerous thing about that drive was trying to stay awake in the middle of the afternoon, right after lunch, um, and that was it. I killed a couple of birds, uh, and when you get that far north, the the only Asian face I saw was a Bruce Lee poster. So every time I got out at some random town or something, I, I just get stares. You know, I never experienced something like that in my life. So. It was quite a novelty, but by the time I got into my sixth or seventh run, you know I became quite a familiar face, because they kind of expected me, every month, this dumbass is going to come driving right down, stop at this place for lunch." And you know, we just have a good chat. And it, w- it was very interesting because I, sometimes I would run into um, these African guys who were actually sailors. They would work on fishing ships and stuff like that, and they would speak Mandarin to me. And it, uh, it completely completely threw me off guard because my Mandarin sucked at that time. I hadn't spoken it in over 10 years. So uh, it was a hell of an experience.
0: Well, that's pretty wild. So these fishermen, <laughs> yeah. their, their work, I guess there's a lot of Chinese fishermen in that region. Uh, can you give well, any insight about like why they speak Chinese? Where did that come from?
1: Yeah, because a lot of the uh, fishing vessels are Taiwanese. So when they stop off in, in places like uh, by the coast, when they stop off by the coast, they, the African uh, guys who used to work on the boats, they had to speak with the, the local fishermen, you know, the Taiwanese guys. So obviously, uh, they started to learn Mandarin because they'd be spending months on board the ship. So they, it was pretty rudimentary. I mean, they would get by with like, you know, Ni Hao and what is your name and stuff like that. Uh But it was still very bizarre to see a, an African guy speaking the language because that you just don't put that those two together.
0: Yeah, and considering this was what back in the '90s, the late '90s. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't well. wasn't the the world it is today, where there's actually quite a few Chinese in Africa, quite a few yeah. Africans in China. You know, this is a different time and pre, well, pre Web two You know,
1: pre yeah, uh, social media. Much. You know, we had ICQ yeah.
0: back then. Is that was that all we had?
1: <laughs> oh, you know, yes, like... ICQ. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, you're making me feel old. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <I know. laughs> I'm probably a little younger than you, but I, uh, you know, I was coming of age in that time and I had an ICQ account. I had a few of those early Friendster, you know, some of those like pre-MySpace <laughs>
1: platforms. Yes. Eesh. I should feign ignorance, but yeah, kind of late for that now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so you said you know back then your Chinese was pretty rusty. You said, but then you spent eighteen years in Shanghai. So how's your Chinese now?
1: Oh, I get by. I mean, um, I can definitely converse a lot more. I can I can type in Mandarin now, uh, which which really helps. Still can't do a lot of cold reading. So, um, but it, it was funny. I had not spoken Mandarin in about twelve years when I first moved to Shanghai, and. Um, one of my first nights out eating alone you know, at the end of the meal, I wanted a serviette. So I had no idea what it was called in, in Mandarin, right? It just a piece of tissue. And I was like, damn it. So I cut, I started piecing these words together and I was like, all right, we, these words pieced together kind of made sense. So I called the waitress over and I asked her for a sanitary pad. She just turned you mean like bright a, red and ran off.
0: Like a tampon
1: kind of deal. Yeah. Like, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next thing I knew, the staff was just standing around laughing and this guy hands me a toilet roll. Yeah. Yeah. And no one corrects me for about four months. Wow. Yeah. At least they, they knew what you
0: wanted. They're like, yeah, just give me that sweet, sweet tampon. Come on, guys. Them, yeah. Yeah. Here's your tissue, uh, yeah. sir. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey. Yeah. Your your food's kind of oily. I just need something like madam in. You know.
0: <laughs> Ma'am, I'd, I'd like to see a tampon, please. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably... Yeah, that, 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 that would freak me out if I was a waitress, I think. Yeah, oh, it's that idiot again. He wants
1: something off-menu. <laughs>
0: off-menu, damn. Okay, so you're in China, been there 18 years, you've been in Shanghai, but have you spent much time in the other cities or the other regions in China? Uh, like out west or been to the national hey. parks?
1: I actually no. I if I had to travel within China, it's exclusively for work. Um, The one thing that really gets to me is just that the crowds here, everywhere you go, it's just so crowded all the time, you know. And um, yeah, it's when I first got here, we did travel to the nearby cities, and uh, it it's just the crowds it just blew me away and in my mind i was thinking every time i go to a different city it's going to be that crowded i'm like yeah no so mostly for work once in a while we go to more remote places like uh which is just about an hour or two away from here uh it's a nice retreat uh but other than that not so much all right yeah and
0: have you been to taiwan have you spent any time over there
1: uh, not during my time here. I was in, I had to do military service back in Singapore. So, as part of my training, we had to spend about a month in Kaohsiung. Uh, and that's all I saw of it. I, the only thing I know of Taiwan is the forest, <laughs> you know, the, the jungles, and uh, that was pretty much it. So, I didn't get to see much of Taiwan. I really do want to go, though.
0: Okay. So, you yeah. got like uh, the military training version of Taiwan.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Okay. You know, I used to live there when I was a kid, and I used to dress up and camouflage and go like run around in bamboo forests, just like playing games. I was just <laughs> right. like an obnoxious little shit, I, I'm sure. To the farmers, you know, th- this bamboo was being farmed, and we used to be so mischievous and get chased by farmers all the time. So I have a feeling it was like a, a similar look and feel to what you had, but just a lot more fun. <laughs> You know,
1: minus the bamboo. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Minus the the drill sergeant, you know, yelling at me for, you know, God <laughs> knows what. But uh, OK, you're from Singapore and you got to remind me not to get you in trouble if, if I push it too much, because there's some Internet restrictions in, in Singapore, I think. I think some people have gotten in trouble for saying things online on YouTube. So if I if I'm pushing it too much, you got to tell me to stop.
1: Oh no no, I mean, it's it's fine. It's not that militant. Um, I mean, I haven't I haven't lived there in well since ninety nine. You know, so uh, a lot of what I know about their uh, restrictions are just from what my friends have been telling me, um, and what I've been reading in the news. So unless it's specifically targeted against the government, if you're trying to stir unrest. Uh, or, you know, sedition, stuff like that. It, it's pretty all right. It's not, it's not as strict as uh, here in China, for example.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of cliches or stereotypes like when um, people think about Singapore, when outsiders think mm. about Singapore. And I lived yeah. in Taiwan in the 90s, like I was telling you, and I was a kid and I was in this international school circuit. And there's another big international school in Singapore, the Singapore American School, And I was at the Taipei American School. Yeah. So our schools did a lot of competition when it came to sports, but also, I don't know, some kind of academic competitions and and, and things like that. There was something called IASIS that that our schools were involved in. So news traveled around between these expat scenes in the 90s in Southeast Asia and Taiwan. So the big story in the 90s was that kid, wasn't there like an American kid who got punished who got reprimanded for some bad behavior in Singapore?
1: Michael Fay, Yeah, yes. that American kid. Um, that Oh, wow. That was big news around the world. He, uh, he, he was just a dick, right? He ran around vandalizing stuff, spraying graffiti on things. Um, he would have gotten away with it had he not sprayed graffiti or vandalized a minister's car. So, yeah, that was a little too high hypo- Was that Was that <laughs> intentional or was that just bad luck? Just bad luck. Oh. You know, he got a minister's car. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he got caught. They, they really hunted him down for that one. So he got caught. Um, I think Bill Clinton was the president at that time. You know, he intervened and asked for clemency. Uh, they eventually you know, uh they didn't let him go, they reduced the punishment to I think it was six strokes or more. I can't remember, of the cane. And the cane in Singapore, it's it's you don't fuck around with it, you know, because it's this monster variant that literally splits your flesh with the first hit. So you get cane once, yeah. uh, they let you recover. You can't sit on your ass for a month. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll let you recover, and you go for the next one. Split your ass again. You recover, and it just goes on and on until you get all of them. Um, so yeah, it, they they use that as a deterrent for um, uh, y- potential young troublemakers. You know, kids who are going to join gangs and stuff like that. So they or uh, they take them to these to this place and give a demonstration on a dummy. So the sound alone puts a lot of people off. So they try to use that as a deterrent, but Michael Fay, he got <laughs> he got the best the full experience of Singapore law.
0: Yeah, you know, and you you brought up Bill Clinton trying to get like his his uh, punishment reduced or whatever. I think if I was president, I would say, okay, don't lock him up over in your prisons. Just just send him home. You know, don't let him come back into Singapore, but do the caning. Let him feel that. Let him learn a lesson <laughs> yeah. from all this. It'll be a great experience oh, yeah. for him to learn not to disrespect people's property like that, you know?
1: Precisely. Yeah, yeah no, they they wanted it. They, I think they were Bill Clinton, at least, or his administration was against the corporal punishment. I don't think they minded if he had to serve a jail sentence, but uh, I think they minded the corporal punishment. But nah, tough luck, man.
0: Yeah, I think Singapore is a lot more like um the world of Starship Troopers. Are you familiar with the 1997 <laughs> yes. film?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just watched it again last month.
0: Yeah. Oh, well me too. I've watched it recently. <laughs> it's been on it's been on some of the movie channels over here. I'm I'm staying at right. my my mother-in-law's house and they got some premium cable, so they got all the movie channels. Oh, yeah. Not that you need it. I mean, they could watch Netflix or Amazon, but sometimes right. I just like to tune into some random movie that I don't know anything about. <laughs> And every now and then right. a classic is on, like Boogie Nights or Starship oh. Troopers, you know?
1: Yeah. Some great
0: films. But yeah, there's a, the, the whole whipping scene in that one. And uh, oh, yes. th- it always makes me think about Singapore whenever I see that scene. <laughs> well, moving on from that, uh, I got a good friend from Singapore. And you brought up, mm. like, this caning is like a good deterrent for wannabe gangsters or something. And my buddy from Singapore always like to use this term, ah bang or ah, ba- ah yes. bung or
1: ah bang. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ah bang. Can you yeah. talk about that? What does that mean? What's the context? So,
1: and ah bang is basically uh, a derogatory term for a, uh, it's more often than not, you know, uh, a kid who has been brought up in a Chinese speaking uh, environment, you know, um, Who's a bit thuggish and gangsterish in his mannerisms, very, very rough around the edges. Um, and it, they are usually associated with being part of a, of a street gang or something like that. So, um, and it, it's really funny because uh, I used to do theater back in Singapore. And um, one of my very first roles was this very huge uh, play about five kids who joined the military and how they're how they form a, a strong friendship. So it was this huge comedy and I had to play the role of A-Bing. You know, I do not sound like an A-Bing. So um, but I I can ham it up if I want to. But uh, it, it was actually quite quite hilarious. And the thing is during they get such a bad rap because they, they start fights, you know, they get into so much trouble. And people always think of them as uh, insufficiently educated, you know, but they've got, when I got to know them, uh, especially as uh, when I was, I was in the army, a lot of my friends, the close, the guys that I got close with were these bangs. Um, they've got the biggest heart, you know, and they they always have your back. So it's one of those things like, uh, you know, these big city kids, not like Singapore is a big city. It's just a bloody island. But, you know, all these, um, Urbane kids would would be about materialism would be very shallow but these guys are the more uh, you know they're the more deep-rooted in community uh, and having each other's backs so uh, that's that's the one thing about the arbings they are a very funny stereotype uh, you would not want to mess around with one but uh, they have they have fallen into that stereotypical look of what you think um, a Chinese gangster would look like
0: well, I love this defense of Ah Bings. This is, this is good. This is the other side of the story. <laughs> the side of the story yeah. I haven't heard. So Ah Bings are, are ride or die kind of guys.
1: Pretty much. You, yeah. you do have the real pansy kinds, you know? They just want to be part of a gang to belong in something. And you have the more hardcore guys. So uh, you, you do have both ends of the spectrum for that.
0: All right. So Singapore yeah. in general, I mean, we, we've gone over some of the, the stereotypes and the tropes. How would you describe it in your own creative words to an outsider, to somebody who's never been or somebody who doesn't know much about it?
1: Yeah, I've been asked this before and I, I still struggle. You know, it's uh, apart from a caricature of a real, you know, you, you can't compare them to the triad. They're not that badass, or they're not that big of a scale, you know, so I think it's more like gangster light. <laughs> a Chinese gangster light, if you may, um, I can't, I can't think of how else to describe that. But the Bing is just, uh, exclusive to to how we see gangsters in Singapore.
0: Oh, I just meant, I, mean, I just meant Singapore. Yeah, moving on from oh, the. Oh, Singapore. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, how would you describe right, right. just Singapore in your own creative words?
1: Oh, um, whew. it is, hmm it, it is a very expensive city. Uh, I don't mean to to sound harsh or really, really critical of the country, but you know, it's a bit, it's a bit sterile, to be honest. Um, I, growing up there, of course, you know, as a kid, it doesn't matter because you're just in your own world. But, you know, when you get older, um, and especially for me, I was, I did not go to to university overseas so a lot of my friends they at the age of 16 you know they buggered off to Australia to the US to the UK and they have this world of experience I never left the country apart, to, apart from visiting my relatives in Malaysia I didn't leave the country till I was about 19 so I had very little exposure apart from what I was reading in the newspapers um, and you know when my friends came back I could actually see a very, very big difference in the way they viewed the world, uh, how they viewed the country. And I kind of, and I realized then like, shit, you know, I mean, their point of view combined with what I was seeing through the media, like Hollywood and stuff like that, I realized it's very, very stifling to be in Singapore. Uh, Very, at that time, it was still kind of cheap. But now, you know, every time I go back within two weeks, I'm like, shit, I'm broke. (laughs) You know, and uh, it's, It's a good place if you're an expat and you've got kids because, um, and when you say that, you're talking
0: about, you're talking about that expat package, right? That that executive package, not, not the, not the young gun. Who's who's like entry level at, at Ogilvy or something intern at Ogilvy. (laughs) You're talking about the guy who was sent from Sydney to Singapore or from Los Angeles to Singapore, that guy or that
1: guy. Yes. For sure. You know the kids' educations paid for, the apartments paid for, everything is paid for, and you really do get the good life there. Uh, but you know packages like that, I they don't come around often anymore. Oh, I think um, you. I think people murder
0: for those now. I think people they're, oh, they're high shit, stakes yeah. for those packages now.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, a friend of mine had uh, a kind of a semi version of that kind of a package. You know, he used to live in in Shanghai and then he moved to Singapore with his family. Um, He had kind of half of that kind of a deal and I thought you lucky bastard, you know, he was living in a pretty nice house up in the East Coast. And uh, yeah, every time I went to visit, I was like, but um, other than that, you know, if you're looking for something a bit more raw, if you're looking for, you're not going to find a lot of soul, um, unless you know where to look, uh, unless you know who to hang out with, you know, because Singapore paints a very, very um, sleek picture to the rest of the world. To you know, especially because tourism is such a big thing for us, it has to be sleek and has to be polished. Even our Chinatown is quite unlike any other Chinatowns you're going to find around the world. I don't even know why we need a Chinatown, but um, yeah, yeah, and so. Then you...
0: You got that movie working double time for you too, that Crazy Rich Asians, oh, yeah. that, that, that's a whole tour, that's a <laughs> yeah. tourism spot, isn't it? Yeah. That's just like, the one that's, long. That's not us. That's one long tourism <laughs> spot for Singapore. You know, you got that Marina Bay Sands, you know, oh, you yeah. got all those, those key images, Marina Bay, Singapore. Let me pull that up on the screen. So yeah, oh, yeah this, exactly. is, this is epic. It's a crazy looking it building. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. You know, and obviously, you know, the casinos there are targeted at uh, travelers, at foreigners. So a local would actually have to pay a cover charge to enter. So, you know, they're kind of discouraging locals (laughs) from gambling. So, but all you foreigners, come on in.
0: I've heard about that. (laughs) Now, the things you've told me so far in the show about Singapore, they're things I've definitely heard from other Singaporeans and from other, also just other expats who've spent time over there. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, you are Singaporean, but are you like Chinese
1: heritage? Uh, I am what they call Peranakan. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so basically a few hundred years ago when uh, China wanted to do trade with Malaya, at that time it was still called Malaya, um, what they did was they sent a a Chinese princess down to to the straits of Malacca, down to Malacca to marry a... Malay prince, so you have this Malay and Chinese mix of uh, you know royalty, and this is the result. So we yeah my my ancestors basically came from Malacca, were a mix of Malay and Chinese. So I speak Malay at home to my mother, uh, and and her relatives, um, and it it's on both sides of the family. So my dad's my dad's mom uh, was also Peranakan. So, I'm not completely 100% Chinese, but um, I just look the part.
0: So, when you introduce yourself, do you usually tell people that you're... Do you say something like this? Like, I'm Malakan
1: royalty, bitch. Do you ever say anything <laughs> like that to people? Um, I should try that? No. But you know, I really <laughs> should, it should be a great icebreaker from now on. Yeah, yeah. You just I'm see how it goes. Rich. You can test yeah. it out in certain groups, you know. <laughs> you
0: can get on Clubhouse and test it out. You know, you can test different audiences <laughs> yeah. in there, you know. You, are you yeah, on Clubhouse,
1: I, by the way? No, no, I'm not.
0: Okay. It's got so hot yeah. in China in the past like couple weeks. Like it's all these enough. people on, on WeChat, I'm seeing them all on posting screenshots from Clubhouse. And then it got banned, of course, you know, it was it was quick. Right. Inevitable.
1: Of course. They're going to have some old version of it at some point.
0: Oh, well, of course! I mean, everybody else yeah. is already copying them. Like, I was on Twitter today, and there's this mm-hmm. uh, journalist who's been talking a lot of trash about Clubhouse, uh, named Taylor Lorenz. She was doing a Twitter Spaces meeting, and it's just like Clubhouse, but it's in the Twitter app, and right. it's it like the same thing, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's almost like Stories, you know, like it's you know Snapchat. Right. Snapchat yeah. stories and then Instagram stories and then then we finally got to LinkedIn stories. It got a little weird at that point, you know. It got very yeah, it strange at LinkedIn stories. Yeah. Uh, now they're they're doing the same with Clubhouse.
1: Uh damn it. Yeah. It's always a, a bandwagon that someone's gonna jump on anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. the the it's the momentum is going to run. I think there's a lot of excitement about Clubhouse because the exclusivity, you know, all the the voices that are on there, are these well, there's celebrities. Whoa, there's there's a uh, big uh, tech titans like Elon Musk on there. I can talk to these right. people, but they're going to slowly drift away into more private spaces, and people are going to get tired of it. I think.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. But celebrities, I mean, it's, it's just got a very short lifespan anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is a utili- utility purpose with it, though. I mean, it's like a conference call. It's like a Google meet, sure. Google hangout yeah. with no camera, which I like, actually. You know, it's just if yeah, you need to too. have a meeting, if this clubhouse interface was, was in, introduced instead of like a call interface, I think it'd be yeah. a lot friendlier, a lot, a lot nicer, you know, in, a, in sure. an app like yeah. WeChat or... Or uh, Facebook Messenger, for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm talking a lot about tech, these tech platforms, uh, social media platforms, and this kind of is adjacent to the industry that you are in, that I'm mm-hmm. also in. But you're you're on the creative side of this industry, so you're in the ad industry, yeah. And you're yeah, a creative, yeah. a creative ad man. How would you describe what you do professionally?
1: Oh God. Um... <laughs> So uh, I started out as an art director. So I just kind of sit around, you know, I get a brief from from my, uh, the account servicing side or the planning side, I get a brief, which I work on with my partner and basically come up with ideas, the best ideas uh, with which to solve the the problem that the client has. So for example, the client's going to launch a new product. Uh, there are certain parameters parameters that we got to work within and we have to come up with a whole scale of ideas on how to launch that that product in the most creative way possible so uh, if I want to put that in a nutshell I would just say you know I'm an ideas person uh, who sometimes you know have the uh, get the joy of bringing that to life uh, in the ways that I actually envision because most times it's it almost becomes a decision by committee kind of thing. You have this really great idea and then you have voices coming in everywhere and saying, no, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't take this out, put that in. And uh, in the end, it just becomes unrecognizable. Uh, So there's a lot of pain, especially for a creative to see that baby, you know, that baby you thought you were going to have come up with six limbs, four eyes, and, you know, nine toes or something like that. And it's just... It's kind of painful sometimes, but you just have to learn to roll with that.
0: Yeah, and that's right. And young creatives out there, if you are masochistic, if you have these kind of masochistic tendencies, maybe the ad industry is right for you.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you like to see your ego squashed and broken and chucked under a truck, go for it.
0: All right. So that sounds really bleak. And, I, you know, I understand everything you're saying there, but I, I can just imagine people who are not in this industry or not adjacent to it. Um yeah. they might not know what you're talking about. There's accountant planning people and they're coming to you with a brief. There's all this jargon there, all these buzzwords that are industry words. So basically what's happening, let's say there's a brand like Snickers, you know, the candy bar, and mm-hmm. they're like, hey, we need to do some ads, or we need to do some some kind of way to communicate our product. Yeah. Uh so they're gonna go to an ad agency and they're gonna talk to somebody at the ad agency side. And after they talk to that person, that person at the ad agency is going to go to you and they're going to talk to you about making that creative idea for that advertisement or, you know, it could be a billboard. It could be a banner ad on a website. It could be yeah. social media content or it could be like a traditional TV ad, like a Super Bowl ad.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they, they will they talk to the, you know, uh, so the, the the creatives are right at the bottom of that chain so we are the ones to get the all that information last because the client would have to tell the agency guys like the plan is or you know uh, say this is our goal this is what we want to do we've got uh, we need to make for example if it's not sneakers if it's something else we want to rebrand or we've got a new car you know that we're going to launch in this certain market Um, and we the agency basically needs to sit down with the client if they haven't already done that, is to identify the things like the target audience, you know, uh, how premium it is, where it sits in the, whole, in the whole product range, you know. So for example, I used to work on Ford and um, you have cars that, you know, they have different tiers. You have the small compacts, you have the sedans, the family car, the business car, the SUVs and the trucks. So you need to kind of figure out where within that category this car would sit, uh, the kind of uh, the, the target audience that you want to, to talk to, the regions that you want to, to uh, address. And you know, and they, they have to come up with a strategy, with a messaging. Uh, and when all that is finally decided, they were open to creatives. And that's when we start thinking about the ideas. You see, it's, you know, to come up with something that's actually relevant uh, and on-brand.
0: Yeah, so they have all this audience research. So you finally oh, kind yeah. of get to know who you're trying to talk to with your creative. And yeah. you're trying to find some kind of human insight, some kind of human connection to, you know, whatever the brand or product is and that person. Is that correct? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, we, When I was working on Ford, we used to handle uh, Asia Pacific. So that was, uh, it's pretty large. I think there were 13 markets or something like that. And sometimes, you know, you just, it's really difficult. If if you're just talking about a specific market, for example, when I was in South Africa, you were just, that's your audience, you know, South Africans. It's either, um, at that time, we really didn't uh, break down the categories into the, the coloured South Africans, the black South Africans, or the white South, South Africans—we didn't really categorize it at that time like that. Uh, even it's you know, if it's Singapore, it's going to be just for Singapore. If it's in China, it's mostly for the tier one cities, uh, unless it's, they're specifically saying for the tier two or three cities. But for Asia Pacific, you, for example, I was launching this huge SUV, and uh, China was the lead market for this one. <clears throat> and uh china was like initially they, they were like yeah we want this really macho suv you know off road the world, see it climbing mountain like rocky terrain driving through rivers and shit like that and we were like hell yeah so we came up with a lot of ideas that were just like that and um philippines <laughs> gets on the call i sorry it's a seven-seater family car and we're like what so in the end you kind of have you know, that's a lot of things that you got to whittle down, bring back, and make sure it addresses all the markets that are involved. So, um, that that part is actually the most uh, painful part of the process, I would say. It's just trying to find middle ground if you have a lot of markets to address.
0: Yeah. The best thing about yeah. Asia-Pacific advertising is trying to market to Muslims and Chinese people at the same time.
1: <laughs> right? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's, yeah. It's Year of the Dog again or Year of the Pig again. Oh, yeah. Let's do That's something with that. Am. Yeah. And then it's like, wait, the Muslims kind of hate dogs and they really hate pigs. We can't have oh, yeah. either of those. Yeah. But this year, Year of the Ox. <laughs> oh, Happy Chinese New Year, by the way oh thank and, you yes and Hello, uh, this is my welcome. year I'm the ox yeah. so it's my nice. year I'm feeling good about that how about you uh are you what do you have any thoughts about year of the ox 2021
1: all i can say is it i just hope it doesn't suck as bad as the last one but
0: um <laughs> you mean <laughs> that's the, last, all I can the last metal ox year or do you mean no, no, no last just, year just this last year 2020 okay so not yeah. the last metal ox year whenever that was
1: yeah like yeah in see, 1948
0: but... that was terrible god <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah see this is this is how chinese I am. I have no idea whether it's metal ox or water ox or whatever ox I, I i don't follow these things so half the time people i just go with what people are saying you know happy metal ox I'm like yeah all right but, yeah the yeah, only most reason of the time I'm clueless
0: the only reason I know it's the metal ox is because I saw a meme about it like so I'm mean, in some group chat on telegram where some guys like you all want to make a meme with a with a cow like a heavy metal cow and it's a metal ox here and then and then like okay it's a metal ox here okay now I know
1: all But right. I don't know what other is I there like a wooden
0: you. is there a wooden ox you don't know either I you're the wrong person to ask I should be googling this
1: yes yeah, very much the wrong person to ask
0: okay and I won't google it on the air that's that that would be <laughs> That wouldn't be very interesting all right. So, so advertising, we were just talking about, you know, APAC, Asia Pacific advertising. Now you did some advertising for Ford, kind of funny story, because my dad worked for Ford in the APAC oh. region in the marketing department. So what years were you? No. Yeah. What years were you working with Ford? Uh,
1: 2010 to 2015? No, wait, hang on. Uh, oh, for APAC, it was 2010 to 2015.
0: All right. You probably know my dad then.
1: Who is he? Rick Baker. Do you know him? Oh, shit. I know that name.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, I, if you have anything bad yeah. to say, don't say it, because cause he's probably going to listen. But if you have anything good to say, pile it on. Please Where was, was on. he based, though? Uh, Shanghai. He was in Shanghai, I think, from, I think it was 2010 to 2014. I think it was. Oh. He, was uh, he was setting up Lincoln in Shanghai. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so he, right. like before Lincoln launched, he was already retired. So, like, he left right before they launched.
1: I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I was marginally involved in the launch of Lincoln. Um, I, maybe that's where I, I've, yeah, seen his name, but I don't think I've ever met him.
0: Okay. Yeah. I've met like a bunch of people who, who my dad knew through, through business, like advertising business, because, I guess uh, there was an agency in Shanghai uh, at one point, Blue Hive, right? Hey. Yeah. Yeah. And you were working at Blue Hive. And Blue Hive is an agency under the WPP group or conglomerate or or whatever you want to call it. And they are an agency that was dedicated to Ford. Is that correct?
1: That's right. So, um, yeah, funny story. I was one of the very first uh, members of staff for Blue Hive here. So yeah, I, I used to work on Ford China at JWT, so which is another ad agency within the WPP network. Um, and I left uh, the agency for about a year. And then the, the chief creative officer called me up one day and he was like, hey, you know, um, we are going to set up an agency here in Shanghai that's going to handle Ford Regional. You've got experience on Ford. Do you want to come back and kind of hit it up? I'm like... Uh, yeah. All right. Sure. Why not? So that, that was how it pretty much started. It was just um, for the first month, it was just that, that guy and myself, you know, <laughs> getting brief from the US, uh, talking to the clients here. And uh, we just kind of grew from a two-man setup to about 100-odd by the time I left.
0: I like how I was like, there's this company called Blue Hive. And you're like, yeah, I I built it. Yeah, yeah, hey.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really build it, but yeah.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I didn't didn't know that. I mean, look, you were introduced to me, and and I kind of didn't want to know much about you until we started talking. Then I could kind of, you know, get it out from you on the show, get to know you more. It'll make for better content, too. So that's good. But uh, I know you through an an ad uh, industry connection. But I didn't know about yeah. that whole Blue Hive history. That's cool. I kind of quickly glanced at your LinkedIn, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah just that's to, how we just met. To, yeah, <laughs> I was trying to get some, you know, I, was, I had to write some questions for show prep. I was like, oh, let me look at the LinkedIn. Maybe I'll get something from that. You know, Right. So just, just to get to those questions, though, let me um, ask you one of the questions I sent you. Do you have any funny or interesting stories that involve cross-cultural communication in the ad industry? um you're like nah no they're pretty straightforward
1: yeah actually not that many i mean (laughs) apart from (laughs) because we always have you know people who who are by effectively bilingual so that we would you know avoid stuff like that um yeah nothing pops to mind at at the moment
0: and not at least within the world? have you ever done anything that involved the chinese company going global in terms of advertising
1: Chinese, uh, a local company going global? Yeah. No, no. Because uh, a lot of my clients, uh, a lot of the brands that I worked on were all uh, multinational brands. So like, you know, Nike, Ford, um, Lux, the whole Unilever uh, and P&G, stuff like that. So I yeah, didn't work are... on anything glo- uh, local.
0: Yeah, these are big names for China advertising, at least big ad budgets under these. these oh, yeah. uh, These brand names. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of my stories, you know, that I would respond to with this question involve Chinese companies going global. And I probably shouldn't share a lot of them on the air just because it's, you know, they were clients and I don't want right. to damage, uh, you know, their privacy, you know, I don't anyways, you know what I'm saying? But uh, there was a lot of funny stories. A lot of them involved racial things. And a lot of them were like, they were ads <laughs> in Asia or for a market in South Asia, like India or something, or, or Indonesia or Malaysia, Thailand. And they always wanted to use white people in all in, right. in the advertising, you know, with any people. They wanted <clears throat> white people. And um, I, I had a brand once, a smartphone brand. I'm not going to say what brand it was. And I've worked with quite a few so if you dig through my experience, you're not going to know which one because there was enough Chinese smartphone brands for you to not know. Anyways, so this Chinese smartphone brand was like um, they're looking at the social media post that we made it for them and we used some stock image. And there was a white woman with dark hair with this red background and she had the phone. It was really stylish and cool. Right. And they're like, uh, this lady, she looks too Indian. She's like way too Indian. And... Uh, <laughs> The funny thing about this brand is their biggest market was India. And uh, this was a white woman with dark hair. So we tried to make her whiter. So we make her skin whiter. Now it looks like porcelain. It looks, It looks unnatural now. And they're like, ah, still too Indian. Way too Indian. So we didn't know what the problem was. So then we change the background color. Like, maybe it's the red background. Maybe that's why the client thinks it's Indian, because it's red. It's like some Maharaja thing, you know? So let's change it to purple. So we change it to purple, and they're like, ah, much better. This is not Indian anymore. (laughs) So I have a lot of those kind of stories, like weird racial stuff, where it's like Asian people, Chinese people, mainland Chinese people, advertising to Indian people using white models and only white models, and, and especially not black models, and especially not any other dark skin model, even though the market they're talking to is dark-skinned people. It's bizarre.
1: It really is. I mean, I, I do get that as well. Uh, it, especially if we are creating, even it's, if it's a big multinational brand, and if you're targeting the Chinese customers, and even the first round of ideas that you present, you know, you, you usually use stock images just to get the idea across. And I have been told explicitly for certain clients, like, do not use non-Chinese people in your stock image. And, you know, you know how painful it is to find Chinese stock images here that don't look campy. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. If, if you want <laughs> stock
0: images, if you're, if you're searching along racial lines, I think there's a lot more white people in there, right? So that your selection yeah. with Asian or maybe there's quite a few black people, I would I would assume. But when it comes to Asian or like Indian, East Asian or Indian, I assume there's not that many.
1: No, yeah, and those that you can find that just just look so wrong for what you need. You know, half the time they're like, and you're like, I can't use that to get the idea out. So. You know, and there's no Asian filter that you could put on, on you know? Well, you'd Photoshop, get in trouble so. for that.
0: Even if there was, you'd be like, well, they used the Asian filter. That's not fair. Yes, you could have employed an confused. Asian model, but you got a white model and put an Asian
1: filter in their face. Yeah, What's wrong it's with you? the time we had to draw that thing up. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's just draw the eyes to be a little more Asian. Huh? How about that? <laughs> You'll <They'll> never notice. <laughs> Well, yeah, um, not to get too offensive here, but uh, yeah, those are some of the experiences I had. And I think it's some of the brands are a bit different. They've, they've matured a little bit. Um, yeah. I think it's a maturity issue for a lot of these brands who are, you know, they're just kind of stepping out of China. They're not used to it. A lot of the people they have in these departments are not too experienced internationally yet. Yes. And uh, they end up making some funny decisions as a result. And oh, I got, yeah. to, see, oh, I got yeah. to see all of it at the very beginning of Chinese brands going global. And I could write a book with all this crap. There's some funny stuff that <laughs> happened. But I probably shouldn't do that until I'm retired, you know?
1: Yeah, that will be a good idea.
0: Yeah. My old boss wanted to write a book. And he's like, ah, I'm going to have to make it fictional, though, because I can't like damage <laughs> any client relationships. <laughs>
1: Just draw comics. They're usually the best way out or something like that.
0: Yeah, like comment uh, comics that are uh, really vague, but at
1: the same time, oh, yeah.
0: if you wrote them about somebody and they see them, they know exactly that you wrote them about
1: them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and they can't say squat. Alright,
0: so you've been in the ad industry for how many years now?
1: Oh, oh let's see. Since 1998. How many years is that now? Twenty-three.
0: Oh, so you got your start in this. Yeah. You got your start in this business in South Africa.
1: Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. I started in Singapore for one oh, year, so I was with yeah Ogilvy for uh, for one year in Singapore, um, and then I realized that it was it was a very strange intro. So when I was doing, I was in design school back in Singapore, and I really didn't even know of advertising as an industry back then. And one of my lecturers was, uh, used to be, you know, formerly Ogilvy, and she. we had to do ads, you know, as part of our uh, tests. And uh, she was like, you can actually, you write pretty well. Have you considered going into advertising? And I'm like, I've no idea what that entails, you know? Um, And so she kind of gave me a very brief intro into what the world was like. And I thought, okay, I wouldn't mind giving that a try so after graduation I landed a gig with Ogilvy um, and then I realized holy shit yeah I was just chucked in the deep end no idea what I was doing because I I wasn't even prepared for that world and um, after a year I was like oh my god this sucks you know cuz when you're junior and you've got no mentor you've got no one telling you how things are done you're just doing everything at 100% and within months i kind of worked myself into hospital um wound up 3 days with severe gastritis or something like that damn and uh, stress
0: related yeah. ailments
1: oh yeah yeah pretty much and after a year i was like okay no i'm done i'm out um but when i went to south africa and i i you know, it started to. This was pre Google, so I had no idea what agencies were. I couldn't just, you know, type in South African ad agencies and just have this list. pages. Well, there, was,
0: there was Ask Jeeves back then.
1: Yeah, yeah. At that time, I think there was Ask Jeeves and Yahoo was I Lycos? think so? Lycos? Lycos yeah. is that
0: little dog. Go fetch it. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah, was, like, that was an exciting those. time for internet oh, uh, yes. search engines. Before Google just dominated.
1: Precisely. So you know, was it was pretty. I had to go through, um, you know, basic searches like that. I had to go through uh, different kinds of of directories, and um, I, yeah, just started cold calling agencies, and a lot of these were small independent setups. So like King James had been around for just a a year or two. The Jupiter Drawing Room also as well. And uh, I I had the, basically, I consider them the most formative years of my career and I had the best experiences there because it was the first time I I joined an agency that I felt that everyone was in it together rather than just being part of a cog in a machine. Uh, There were no egos. Um, If we were stumped, people from even different teams would just kind of jump in and help out. You know, and I, I really, really liked that about my experiences there. And I did really good work. And um, it was one of those where if I had an idea or however crazy it was, I wouldn't feel self-conscious about it to talk to my boss or even my partner. You know, there was no, you don't feel like you had a stupid idea, wait, even though sorry, that which, voice in your head was say. Which agency was this or
0: which, which region?
1: Oh, in Cape Town, uh, Jupiter in, Drawing Room, uh, Jupiter King James. Drawing room. Yeah. Okay.
0: Because I got. Oh, I don't want Ogilvy to get the credit for all these nice words. <laughs> <So> Jupiter, <laughs> say it again.
1: Jupiter Drawing Room. That
0: sounds mysterious. Oh yeah, Jupiter Drawing Room. Cool. Yeah. So this is ad agency in based in Cape Town.
1: Um, they have got in Cape Town and Johannesburg.
0: Okay, and now is Cape Town the advertising capital of South Africa?
1: Um, well, I, I think it was a pretty fair share, fair split between the two. So, I think the the independent ones were far better in Cape Town, uh, whereas the four A's, you know, the larger networks, one the ones were more established in Johannesburg. Because okay. Cape Town was more the artsy, independent kind of place. So, yeah, the small shops really flourish there.
0: Okay, that's cool. And can you just... There's probably a lot of people listening who aren't in advertising and they don't know what 4A is. Can you explain, like, what is 4A and how is it different from, you know, some of these smaller shops you talked about in Cape Town, for example?
1: 4A just means a fully accredited agency. Uh, It's a full-service agency. So, you don't have... So, if uh, every every service that is required for a successful advertising campaign to be launched can be provided by this agency. So if you're talking about planning, you're talking about media, you know, creatives, uh, stuff like that, you know, uh, the agency would be able to support all those needs. Whereas an independent agency, they're very small. Usually, um, it could be anything from two to about 30, 40 people sometimes. And they may not be able to offer that full kind of range of support. So if you're talking about media, we probably would have to go to an external company like Mindshare or one of those others as well. So um, it usually doesn't matter to me because, uh, you know, for, for the creatives at least, because it's for us, it's about the idea, how people want, you know, how they, the companies want to execute them or find ways to work with partners who can. That's not really our call. So it's just about us trying to fight to get the idea out. At the end of the day.
0: All right. So these smaller agencies, oftentimes they specialize in like one thing. But you mentioned uh, Mindshare, this company. That name. That name sounds dystopian to me. It sounds. Like, have you ever seen this movie <laughs> called the? Uh, uh, what was it Go- Bowfinger Bowfinger have you seen this movie
1: oh I might have I can't remember Bowfinger. I don't think so it's, I mean, it's from I the late the 90s around. oh yes 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 that one yes
0: yeah and there's this company yeah. in this there's a place where Eddie Murphy gets like therapy and it's like mind mind head that's what it is <laughs> and it whenever I see mind share I think of this movie and I think of this company Mindhead. so I don't know it just sounds creepy to me Mindshare.
1: share? Yeah, that, it that mind share. <laughs> it, it sounds like somewhere you need to go get your head fixed or something.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, that's like Bowfinger. Well, yeah. okay. So we talked a bit about the ad industry. Do you have any like project from from this you know experience that you're really proud of in terms of like creative execution?
1: Oh yeah. Um. So when I was in. Oh god, there are actually, quite a few that I enjoyed, but the the one that had the most impact in my career was, uh, I think this was back in two thousand six. So, uh, th- when JWT still had Nike, and uh, the this is right before, just when, um, yeah, I think we were going to lose the account or something like that. So. It, it wasn't even my account. So we knew the agency was, was going to lose it to Wyden and Kennedy that was setting up shop here. And Wyden and Kennedy is basically the incumbent uh, for Nike in, the, in North America, at least. Uh, yeah. So uh, my boss at that time and myself were thinking, let's just do something great for them. You know, it's going to be the Swan Song. And, uh, you know, and we just took it upon ourselves to come up with a series of posters. And uh, I think we did six of them. Uh, so, what we, the idea behind it was that, you know, Nike is a brand for runners. Um, and, you know, runners obviously run on roads. And we, that, the idea was just to bring that spirit of run free to life. So, we worked with different uh, artists. So, we had traditional artists, we had digital artists, uh, a whole bunch of graphic designers as well. And we, the brief was pretty open. So what we said was, you know, use uh, the idea of roads to bring the spirit of Run Free to life. So we, we actually worked very closely with them and uh, wound up with this whole series of, of ads that became the second most awarded ad campaign in the world at that time. Um, what, what was and, the name of the campaign? Yeah. Nike Run Free.
0: Nike Run Free okay I'm gonna yeah i think that was that
1: 2006. they may have other run free's as well
0: oh so they may have been oh and is, these are shoes run yeah free. just uh... well if i
1: don't yeah okay
0: if i don't all find those. it. all these okay
1: yeah, cool yeah yeah all those are
0: oh so okay these are the roads i see yeah
1: yeah so it's a whole series of them and uh <clears throat> we it was I won JWT Shanghai's first Khan? Uh, I think it bagged about 70 odd awards and stuff like that. So, um, it got me ranked as China's top creative for that period of time, number 14 in Asia. Um, and it was a great time, you know. I got to go to Khan for the first time as well. Uh, it, it, it was quite funny because yeah, I, when they sent me to Khan, I went with the chief creative officer, the CEO, and this other you know, senior creative. So as soon as we got there, the other creative found his friends and just, I never saw him again for the whole week that we were there. And um, my boss, he had been to every single Khan for the past 10 years. You know, and he was like, I'm going back to watch football. And th- my CEO, I think he, at that time, he lost his phone, through a fit, didn't want to go out. And so I was left to celebrate on my own, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Wow. I was gone, Just yeah. Um. Wound up getting really shit faced with some guy from Israel and some girl from Poland. Yeah, yeah, that's all I remember of it. But it was it was great fun, you know, because you you go there thinking you're the shit, and yeah. then you see all that work, all that creative work, you know, up on the wall, and you're like. I am nothing. <laughs> you compare that to yeah. everything on the wall. You're like, oh my god, I'm a prima donna. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very humbling experience, um, but you do learn a lot. And I, you know, I, it's an experience I would really recommend if you can go to Cannes, especially if you're a young creative. Uh, I would recommend that you know the agency send send you there at least once in your career for for a really good experience, cut. I think the ad industry has suffered in a way that, thanks to Singapore in particular, we kind of started the whole scam ad industry, right? So it,
0: Wait, is that the uh, where you create something for the award shows?
1: Yeah. So it's not actually because of the uh, actual brief that the client gave you. You're doing this. You're doing this for solely for awards. Um, and we kind of started that culture. so sorry, <laughs> okay, we have,
0: but, uh, yeah. we have to take a step back. We have to take a step back because we're we're right. deep in Adland, and you and I are both deep in yes. Adland ourselves, so we know what's going on here. but can, mm-hmm. I think when it comes to comes to a household name, can is probably more associated with like independent film when it comes to Americans at least if like people are like, oh yeah, right. can, oh yeah I have I have the Sundance Channel. that's like can isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But can uh, the Can Lions, as an advertising and award show, and it's hel- held in France. It's a big mm-hmm. event. All the big industry people are there. A lot of celebrities are there. A lot of creative people, very talented people. And I like your perspective on it, too. How you, you go there and you're kind of thinking like you're the shit, but then you see there's these brilliant people that you're in competition with, and, it, and it's really humbling. Granted, oh, yeah. maybe they lucked out with a much bigger budget than you with much <laughs> much more i don't know risk r- less risk averse clients you know like clients who like yeah. are willing to do something crazy you know getting some award for that now oh, now yeah. you're talking about this award show culture in the ad industry where if you're in this industry you're trying to sell a product with an ad but it seems like a lot of people in the ad industry are chasing an award cr- chasing creative recognition rather than yeah. sales leads let I get some sales and leads here, that's what the brands want. But the the creatives in the industry, the agency guys, I want that can lion. Yeah. So can you talk a bit about that, like the award show dynamic? And you, okay, you even brought it up already with Singapore, with them starting the trend with uh, chasing the award rather than you know doing something that's on brief for a company. Can you talk about this whole dynamic a little bit?
1: Yeah. So you know when 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 the agency is given an actual brief from a client, and you're right, you know, it really depends on how open the client is to really creative work about how, they, how open they are to pushing the boundaries, you know. So a lot of times, majority of the times, it's about keeping up with the Joneses. If, this, if the competitor has done something, this brand is like, oh, we want to do something like that as well. And there's really not that much room for innovation and creativity. Um, and it it suffers because we are in the creative industry, and if we are just going to do stuff that other people have done before, we're not challenged, you know, we just kind of feel like we're dying inside. And I understand the challenge, like, they on the one hand, the clients have got you know, uh, numbers to meet, they've got goals to achieve in terms of sales and stuff like that, and they want something that they know will work for them at the same time. The agency is like, but we are the experts. We need, you know, we know what could make you stand apart. But it's so it, you have that really delicate balance of finding something that a client that knows what they want versus what what is a guaranteed, you know, will work kind of situation for them. And uh, so because of that, um, agencies have resorted to this to this idea of of coming up with their own briefs. To have their own creative freedom to express themselves, uh, in in different ways, and that way does not necessarily necessarily translate to success for sales, you know. So, um, but they do that for recognition. So the Khan the Khan Advertising Awards is basically the equivalent of the Oscars for the ad industry, right? So it's the biggest award show there is, and uh, a lot of people try to aim for that. So we have a lot of different ones like. D N A D, One Show, um, Spikes. So, but the Khan, that is the holy grail for a lot of yeah. us. And there's a lot yeah. of
0: smaller, there's a lot more smaller ones that you didn't mention. Because yeah. I've won a, f- a few myself, but I never got a Can Lion. <laughs> I never got that one. That's that's the big one. That's the one that matters, you know. That's the gold yeah. medal, you know. You're a yeah. your little insignificant bronze medal otherwise.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, that you know. And, and you can just kind of get stuck there because um, you have a lot of, for a period of time, um, a lot of the ads that were submitted to Khan just never saw the light of day. You know, all they had to do was um, put a poster up somewhere and say, hey, okay, the ad ran. So it qualifies as an official, you know, uh, campaign. Oh, yeah. We got, um,
0: we got one impression.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much We put it up on a wall for two seconds Took a picture and there we go It was an ad
0: Yeah, we got one impression That's that's all we need Yeah, so that's yeah. hilarious That there, there's people in the ad industry There's agencies who want to get recognition They want to make a name for themselves They're like, okay, we've got to do all the stuff that the clients want We've got to follow the rules, mm-hmm. stay in the box, make some money But then we're going to do this really crazy thing It's not a real ad campaign But we're going to make it look like it is And we're going to submit it for the award show We're going to win And everybody's going to talk about how creative we are
1: yeah that's yep. pretty much it you know and uh, i mean they have come they have come down really hard on it over the past few years because of some yeah there were quite a few scandals involved in the in different campaigns that were done yeah.
0: wasn't there like some refugee thing like it's like we yeah. are helping refugee boats in the mediterranean and navigate back yeah and, and there like was no refugees i don't i don't remember the story exactly do you know?
1: I can't remember. I can't remember the details of that as well, but apparently it was uh it, it was a it was allegedly a fake app that was supposed, you know, that claimed to be able to track refugee boats as they kind of drifted across the world. Um so you know, when they real and it was a fantastic idea if it were real, you know. So when they kind of found out that they kind of fudged numbers or they made up data about that stuff. Um the the yeah the lion was stripped from them singapore think... <laughs> hey yes well, of course it was so this is the can winning gray singapore
0: app to save refugees. so gray is the agency yeah yeah gray and they're PR agency a pr gray gray
1: are they yeah they're an ad agency but um, yeah they okay. were an ad agency
0: all right i think maybe i'm i'm thinking of grayling my my mistake uh, all right oh, this is incredible. So they made some... I mean, I think... I don't want to get too much into this. I don't want to read the article on the air, but here's this article. Right, right, right. Canned winning gray Singapore app to save refugees called out as fake. Look into this, people, if you're interested in the
1: grimy world of advertising awards. <laughs> Look, I mean, I'm, I'm not here to slime, you know, the team that did this. I'm not here to, to badmouth the industry. Oh, it was brilliant. And, you know, that was
0: brilliant. Yes, yes. yeah.
1: but you know it's it's, that's the 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 gritty reality of of what we do and uh uh it's unfortunate that sometimes shit like that happens you know uh, but it's it just shows how cutthroat it is you know on the one hand you need recognition for creativity on the other hand you know i have heard some
0: crazy stories in asia about the lengths people would go to win award shows and i'm not going to say any names not going to say any agencies (laughs) But I heard about this guy who is a creative at a big agency who, who wanted to do an ad campaign that involved animals, like hurt animals. And he was considering b- breaking some dog's legs or cat's legs and then using that for the campaign so they could win a canned lion. So they're going to abuse some animals so they could do a, a heartfelt campaign about abused animals so they could win an award for an advertising campaign. Isn't that fucked up? That's like next level dystopian,
1: I think. <laughs> Jesus. Like maybe go play in a minefield to bring awareness to do Well, that would make like, a great, fuck? that would make an interesting
0: viral video. Why
1: don't we do oh, it? Yeah. We'll get
0: some real exposure with
1: that. Exactly. We've only got one take.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Now, that's an idea. That's for the 2022 Can, uh, can, can Lions. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. All right. Well, we'll jumping to another topic so we don't get yeah. too dark into the sure, sure. the Adland talk, because that's where I'm going with this. Um, how about China? You've been there a long time. Yes. You've been in Shanghai. What's your like life like in China? What's your day-to-day outside of work, leisure? you know taking a stroll down the street what are you doing on the weekends or your off time in shanghai oh god
1: so um right now uh, i do have a lot of off time because i'm kind of i'm about to join lego i think i'm allowed to say that i should be allowed to say that so i'm about to join lego (laughs) uh just waiting for the paperwork to come through uh so i've had a lot of free time so but before that um my weekends I, I used to dj so i used to play drum and bass here in shanghai uh in, in an underground club so uh-huh. a lot of my weekends were just kind of spent there um, were you uh, at the shelter
0: just, yeah Oh man.
1: <laughs> i used to play at the shelter nice yeah.
0: that's uh now that's a close it's not open anymore but the shelter no, shanghai is
1: legendary oh yeah i mean it was literally a bomb shelter so one way in, one way out, it was a death trap. But, you know, so <laughs> if it caught fire, we were all dead. Um, but it, it was fantastic because you know that the people who went there were for the music and not just to be seen. Because everyone looked like a right mess over there. So Well, it was so um, dark in was... there.
0: You, if you wanted to be yeah. seen, it was not the place to go because nobody could see you. It was so dark.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And it was so hot. And you know, then I would be playing and I'd be dripping sweat on my vinyls and it was just disgusting. Um, oh, Dude, so but, you were the real deal. Yeah.
0: You're playing drum and yeah. bass, which is not the most popular genre, especially in Shanghai. <laughs> it's a cool genre. I, yeah. I like it. Dude, I used to deliver yes. Chinese food in college, uh, in, in America, at, at a, uh, a little Chinese place in Amherst, Massachusetts. And I right. used to be the driver, the delivery man for this little place. And I would listen to almost exclusively drum and bass because it was so fast and I'd be drinking those like <laughs> rock star energy drinks. I'd be so hopped oh, up. Hell. I'd be driving around a drum and bass like it was so great. <laughs> My, the time flew by. I'd pick up like a hundred bucks in tips in six hours. It was it was a good time.
1: Holy shit. That's great.
0: But yeah, to, oh, I love. mean, you were DJing vinyl drum and bass at yeah, the yeah, shelter. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. That's, I'm being I'm like a fanboy, being like a Shanghai yeah. expat fanboy.
1: <laughs> but you know, it's like no club, no club wants me to play now because they've got to rent the equipment just for me, and like we don't know who you are, so you're not worthy of it. So most of the oh, time, like, now, I just play for my cat.
0: They don't have vinyl turntables in house.
1: Um, not the what well, the big clubs they will have. But no big club is going to have drum and bass there. So it's usually the small independent ones. And a lot of these places, they use uh, a lot of the DJs use laptops or CDJs or not, you know, not vinyls anymore.
0: Damn. So are you still collecting vinyl records? Like, are you still? No, no, no.
1: I I made the switch to Serato a couple of years ago um, because I just had too many. I think I got about three, four hundred finals and it becomes a pain in the ass, you know, when you got to a two three hour set and you're like these this bag is gonna be fucking heavy because <laughs> of all the records that you gotta drag yeah and yeah and i was just like you nah, know i'm just gonna go with serato
0: yeah you need crates and then if you're bringing the turntables that's a lot of stuff to haul and it's all very breakable too like uh, oh yeah yeah not very weatherproof
1: no exactly <laughs> you know and there's always that that worry, you're going to leave it in the cab because you're shit-faced after the session. And you, <laughs> next morning, you're like, oh my God, where are my records?
0: Yeah. So you you mentioned you're on a different uh, setup now. Cer- what was it? Serato? Seratos?
1: Yes. Yeah, Serato. What is that? Um, so it's, it's basically it still uses uh, vinyls, but they are digital time-coded vinyls that um, I can play um, digital files. It kind of hooks up to my computer. So I still use uh, the turntables. Yeah, so that's it's basically a software, and um, you you see that blank uh, vinyl over there. So it's just a digital vinyl. So I I play it as I would a normal a regular vinyl, but the songs are actually coming from my computer.
0: Okay, so is there like a physical like turntable thing that's like that virtualizes yeah. it, like a control?
1: Yeah, pretty much. And, and- uh, I still use you know my my regular turntables using playing those vinyls um so the key difference is that the music it's it's just channeling music from my from my laptop into that
0: okay so the yeah the record if you like put your hand on it like you're gonna scratch or something that yeah. would help you like stop the music on your laptop it scratch behaves forward, exactly scratch like that yeah oh that's awesome yeah. that's great it is yeah I remember okay. i I used to do a little DJing stuff I mean I had like a little console thing, not not vinyl stuff, but I remember like I was super into it and i I was a student in like high school looking at all this DJ equipment I think I saw some of the early versions of this there was like an actual right. vinyl turntable thing it wasn't a CDj it was like a proper vinyl thing, but it was digital right and it was really nice it yeah like two thousand. that's no, actually
1: really fun you know it gives you a lot of flexibility as well but um you like I was saying, you know, clubs need to have the actual turntables and many of the smaller ones don't have them anymore.
0: Yeah, that's a shame. And then, okay, yeah, so what's the is. nightlife like now in Shanghai with, with COVID? It's been a year. I know Shanghai had a little COVID scare recently, right? They locked down some streets, I heard. What's it looking like over <laughs> yeah, there?
1: Yeah, they locked down the street like one block away from a compound. Um, and, you know, I don't really go out that much anymore. so. It was quite a surprise, you know, I walked past the street and there was just barricades everywhere. Um, but life is has been pretty much back to normal for months now. Uh, at least half a year in Shanghai. Um, nightlife is, it... is uh, back to normal. You can eat out, you know. Uh, the, you still have to wear a mask you know, for the subway, for the banks and certain uh, stores, maybe. But other than that, uh, it's almost as if it, it never really happened. But
0: how many sets have you played since COVID?
1: Zero. I've not played out uh, in years. In about two years now, I've not played you out. You should bring things really back
0: to normal, and you got to do a set, and then COVID will be <laughs> over.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I wish. But if you were going to do a set again, which which venue in Shanghai would you want to do?
1: I... Am i mean the place that comes closest to the vibe that shelter provided is is probably dada yeah it's it's uh yeah dada dada Um, club
0: shanghai i'm gonna just put it in the google so people can see it so yeah it's a grimy nightclub yeah not too big not too small plays a lot of electronic music a bit of hip-hop right
1: yes I mean, I did play there once, but uh, the uh, this was oh wait, when was this? About a year ago? No, a year and a half ago. Yeah, about a year and a half ago. So I think it was uh, it was Fabio, one of the it's a one of the grandfathers of drum and bass. I think he was uh, yeah, I know him. He was playing. Yeah, he was playing there. So I was supposed to play after him, but the equipment broke down as soon as I touched it. I could only play out of one deck uh, uh so it kind of cleared the glove after that so it was well done <laughs> oh god that was like the last time you dj'd yeah that was the last time i, I dj
0: you're like you're there with a like a music industry legend and you have yeah. maybe the worst set of your life because of the equipment yes, failure it
1: was the worst set yeah uh-huh. it was the worst set. like after just after the second track the, one of my decks just one of their decks just kind of gave out well dude you have it to refuse to play anything
0: you have to have a good set <laughs> That can't be your last yeah. one.
1: No, it can't it can't be. So I gotta to try to find a way to play out again. You know, that was me coming out of semi-retirement and then <laughs> play out of one deck.
0: Well if I was still in Shanghai, I would hire you because I used to do these crazy private parties with some friends. We used to what we started doing, there used to be a Super 8 hotel in Jingan district. Did you do you remember Jiaojiao Road? and uh shinja road that area yeah and and there's there's a little alleyway there and there was a little hot sauce shop there hot box you know what i'm talking about it's not there anymore but it used to be anyways there was a hotel there a super eight hotel which is like that grimy it's like a motel six in america it's like a low budget hotel but it was kind of decked out in this in the shanghai location they had these rooms that had, like, mezzanines in them. Like, they had the first floor with the big bed, and it looked like a dollhouse. It was all white and ornate, white and gold. And they had a little mezzanine. They had a stairway, and it went up, and there was, like, this little balcony thing in the room. So I was thinking, this would be a great party spot. Why don't we get two of these rooms? They're in the same hallway. They're, like, opposite of each other. We'll get both of them, and we'll have a crazy party. And we did that, and we invited a lot of people thinking that... Maybe someone come, you know, these are WeChat group invites, you know, we're thinking right. 40% come rate. And by, com, I mean, C-O-M-E. Now I'm not trying to be dirty here. Now you get your head out of the gutter now. <laughs> too late. RSVP rate or something, you know, trying to get a more cultured term here. But anyways, right. too many of them came and we were like flooding these rooms and people were overspilling into the hallways. It was so loud. Oh, you shit. know, I was DJing at one point. I got blackout drunk. There was a Halloween party, too. And I was dressed like a Roman soldier. It was a great party. And they, the, the hotel kept threatening to call the cops. They're like, well, you guys are so loud. I know what you're up to. There might even be some drug use. We're going to call the cops. And we're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We're too drunk to care. And then apparently the cops, this is 2013. This is like early days If you, uh, when it comes to the power structure in China, the new power structure right. in China. It was still a little wilder there. The cops just never showed up. They didn't give a shit. They're like, what? It's too late. It's 2 in the morning. You expect me to walk over to the Super 8 and (laughs) bust these kids? They're having a good time. You want me to mess with them? I'm trying to have a good time here at the police station. I'm trying to play solitaire and have a nap. Once you get fucked, (laughs) Super 8. So so if I was still having parties in Shanghai like I used to, I would hire you to DJ. And I'd make sure we had the right equipment. We'd we'd rearrange all the booze. Thing is, okay, they closed Super 8. And as you know, things got stricter in Shanghai, in China in general. So we started having to rent these private venues. They had all these places in Shanghai, these like uh, little team building party rooms where like this small company would deck out all these apartment spaces as party spaces. They'd have karaoke rooms, ball pits like a McDonald's play place, a bar set up, card tables, mahjong tables. (laughs) They're wild. And you could rent these private spaces for a night for like 1,200 RMB, like 200 bucks. No way. 200 US dollars. Yeah. And you have a crazy party. And you just you arrange the booze. Any other right. extracurricular activities you wanted to do, you could make sure they happen. You got a karaoke room right there. It was it was amazing. We had these wild, wild. parties in, in Shanghai. But I feel like uh, the mood has changed there a bit. And it's not... Considerably. Not so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they they cleaned up so much. I mean, they, you yeah, know, they they had um, raids and stuff like that uh, about just over a year ago, two years ago, I think. Massive raids throughout China and especially in Shanghai, which saw the um, ooh, what was that cat hair, which saw the expulsion <laughs> of uh, <laughs> like several hundred foreigners at least, you know, jail time and stuff like that because they were. Yeah, yeah, they just were having this massive crackdown.
0: And, what, what, uh, what was it that people were going to jail for usually? Drugs.
1: Yeah. It was <laughs> Yeah. It was mostly weed and cocaine that people went down for, you know. And um yeah, it, yeah, it was a sad day <laughs> for the nightlife here. Uh, we had I heard stories. I mean, this was I, I hardly went out again at that time, you know. So I heard stories of um I can't remember which club. I think it was called LeBron or something like that. La They raided Ah yes, La or... Yeah. Yeah, that shows how much I go out. I don't even know the name. Um, well, I think your yeah, pronunciation
0: rated... was, was more like the French is like LeBaron. <laughs> something like that. Right?
1: <laughs> yes, that's the inner French in me. Um yeah, they raided the whole club. I think they sent about two, three hundred people to the police station. And we're just trying to get people to roll on one another, uh, and some of them got really rowdy. I think the foreigners, some several foreigners, got really rowdy because they were shit faced and um, started arguing with the cops. Never do that with the cops here, yeah, because those guys were deported the next day. Didn't even have a chance to clean, pack up their shit. They just had to go back get their passports. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah,
0: and the thing is, yeah. Chinese cops are super nice. They're pretty reasonable to deal with, usually. I've dealt with Chinese cops plenty of times, never really had a bad experience. Yeah. Well, okay, except for like if I was reporting something stolen and they wanted me to come do a police report and they expect me to wait two hours to do a police report at the station and I know they're not going to investigate this crime. A little petty theft at a KTV, they're not investigating that at all. So that's the only problem I have with Chinese cops is that maybe they're a little lazy, but I've never had any uh problems with them being abusive or yeah testy you know yeah like like yeah, mean I'll american cops still. like i've had american cops tell me they're gonna kill me for just being at a at, at the wrong place at the wrong time you know <laughs> fuck yeah you know so it's a little little different setup
1: oh yeah yeah, I remember because I ride an electric scooter here and um years ago I, I was riding in the rain. I, I wasn't even going that fast. You know, I think I was going about 40. And this old this little old woman decides she, you know, we were going in the same direction. And she decided at that time, pitch black, this will be the best time to step out onto the road without looking behind me. So she did, and I couldn't stop in time. I crashed into her, you know. The, We went sliding across the ground and she completely flipped out on me she was like I hit my head why were you going so fast I'm like you just fucking stepped out I you know I could not stop in time and so she held on to my bike she called for the police and the cops came and um, he was really patient he listened to her side of the story and then and he was a young guy so he listened to my side as well and after a while and this was the funniest part. He put his hand on my shoulder and said in English, your luck is fucked up. <laughs> Dude.
0: And this, this actually makes me want to ask like right away, like you're, you're are, you are Asian looking, Chinese looking, but you're living in China and you're not yeah. Chinese or not a Chinese national. So yeah. how do people treat you?
1: Oh, um, they you know, at first they will think I, I, I mean, I don't look typically Chinese. I get I get mistaken for Japanese or Korean many times, um, uh, but they don't treat me very much differently. But they do when they realize I'm from Singapore. Um, you know, a lot of them have this really clean perception of Singapore. They're like, "Oh, Singapore is really great. It's very clean. Do you like it there?" Um, so it, it's more a matter of curiosity because, like. I do speak the, the language a little bit. So they think, yeah, your Chinese is, your Mandarin is really good, you know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah you should have met me about you know 18 years ago. Um, but yeah, I don't get treated very much differently. It's, it's, I'm just uh, a, more of a curiosity to them.
0: So in that, that situation with the cops though, you're, you're communicating in English or Chinese? How is that happening?
1: I communicated it mostly in Mandarin. You know, certain words peppered in English. So he knew right away, you know, I was not from here. So that's why he took that long pause to kind of gather his thoughts in English. And your luck is fucked up. I'm like, you're supposed to be a cop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's a Chinese cop. They're they're just, Chinese cops are just kind of there. They're just like little moderators, little moderators in the city, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's actually quite. I mean, coming from Singapore, especially, you know, you don't argue with the cops. You know, you just have this reverence towards them for no rhyme or reason. And over here, you, you just see the the way the locals kind of deal with the cops. You're like, as, as though they're yelling at children. You know, so yeah. I mean, damn, you've got you've got massive cajones there. Well, but, you do that yeah. in
0: America, you get taste. You get. Like these much. cops in america if you're lucky. they're like they're like ready to use the taser like and i know there's there's a lot of the the racial you know talk with 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 police brutality uh, at the end of the day they'll tase anybody they they these motherfuckers will just go they'll go after anybody you, if you if you give them a hard time you give them a reason they'll use it they'll use it on you
1: oh, I'm sure. oh yeah so, they've not been getting really good press
0: no, because there's so many videos of it. Why are there so yeah. many videos of this one thing happening over and over again? <laughs> you know? I know, it's ridiculous.
1: I'm not almost afraid to go back there.
0: Yeah, I'm not anti-cop either. I'm not like an anti-cop guy. But at the end of the day, when I see a cop, I get nervous. Because I've dealt with some, for one. <laughs> and then I've seen a lot of videos of people who had much worse experiences than I had. Oh, yeah. Well... We are about an hour and a half in. Um, sure. We could probably wow. we could probably wrap up pretty soon. Is there anything you wanted to right. plug before we go off the air?
1: No, no. I mean, it's it has been quite an interesting experience. I've never been on a podcast before, so this has been fun.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So I, it's yeah, like, you know, it's like uh, what 1:30 p.m. It's in China right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's 11:30. When I, when I was night. looking at the the links that you sent me, you know, I was like, Oh my God, I've got to speak for an hour. I don't even know what I can <laughs> what going to talk about. And I, I didn't even feel the time go by.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, sometimes yeah. I'll bring them up to two hours, but I didn't want to make it too arduous for you, you know, but, um, I'm drinking sake. So it's very easy for me. And it's like a different time zone for you. Are you drinking now? Or what are you, what are you doing right now in terms of beverage consumption? Uh oh, you didn't freeze, did you? Oh my god, he froze. The connection problem. It caught up to us. Roy! Roy, are you there? Roy. Roy, we miss you already. Well, I don't really want to end the show this way. I think I can keep it going. I mean, I really have to pee as well. I really have to pee, people. I'm considering peeing in this bottle right here, but I'm not quite done with it, as you can see. Are you back? yes thank god wait I can't hear you
1: I can see you but I can't hear you oh yeah sorry we got cut out for a second
0: yeah I was just talking about how I have to pee so bad I'm like considering peeing in this bottle but I have too much sake to pee in here but we should wrap up so I can go to the bathroom now you don't have anything to plug but are there any like good movies you've watched recently Uh, a good book you've read Any, any other maybe another creative person that you could promote while, we're on the air still,
1: oh goodness, uh actually, who else can I see? Another creative person mm-hmm. uh oh wow, well, I don't well, wanna dox... already,
0: yeah, I don't wanna dox your friends. I was thinking more like somebody who's put out a movie or a TV series or a book or something more public
1: Asshole. yeah, yeah, no, no, not right now, um. I can't. I can't remember the last great book that I've read. Because so
0: have you been I watching mean, a bunch th- of bad movies kinda... lately? You're just like I can't so, yeah. recommend any of
1: these. Well, um, I I kind of I, for some reason I've gotten into South Korean action films recently. For whatever reason, I hadn't I had no inclination for these things before, um, and I just started watching this thing called A Bittersweet Life. So, and it's actually really good because I've i always pegged South Korea as, uh, they do a lot of these melodramas that my mom actually liked, you know, and um, uh, when I <clears throat> when I watched movies like uh, The Last Train, to Bu- Last Train to Busan, which was a zombie film by South Korea, and I was actually really quite blown away by the level of production, the storytelling, and uh, and I, I think yeah, I kind of got. I've gotten into a lot of South Korean movies lately, and
0: uh, yeah, man, I think Korea, it's, it's
1: definitely something we should we should look into.
0: Yeah, Korea's killing it with uh, popular media like
1: movies, yeah. music. They're killing it these days. I know. I mean, they've and, got they've got storytelling down pat. You know, yeah. and they don't rely on like massive budgets, like CGI and stuff like that. I and mean, look, the, the story movies is are great. just really slick.
0: The movies yeah. are great. Those K-pop chi- those K-pop chicks are so hot. I I don't really care about oh the K-pop God, yeah. boys. I just think that their fans are annoying. Like you go on Twitter and they got all the K-pop fans. They're like the most annoying people in the world. But uh, you know, oh, yes. I don't maybe they don't know any better. You know, they're just trying to do their thing, you know? Maybe they're like 14 years old. I don't know. I don't want to blame them <laughs> too do. much, but they're annoying. But those K-pop chicks are pretty hot. I got to say that.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I right. have to admit.
0: Back in uh, China, when I lived there, we had a Xiaomi TV, and we used to have like uh, you know like the in the the app interface of the TV. It's a smart TV, so it's like a TV that can get Netflix. But I'm watching the Xiaomi apps where I can watch movies or I can watch music videos, and they have the whole K-pop section. So you turn that on, it's some good eye candy. That's all I'm saying. And
1: if you're a woman,
0: (laughs) and if you're a woman or a man who likes effeminate young men. You'll love K-pop. You'll love it. Oh hell yeah! If you like if you like guys that look like girls, you'll love it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't I don't see the appeal in that. I really don't. I don't agree. But you like the girls though, like the proper girls. I would not say no. Yeah, Yeah, are you married? But yeah, yes, yes.
0: Okay, but okay, it's cool though, right? It's cool. We can talk about. it. Yeah, no, she
1: doesn't care. (laughs) Because she probably likes
0: those K-pop boys, doesn't she? She's probably like. Looking at the... Nope,
1: she likes the girls more than the boys.
0: Good for her. Good for her. Those boys are way too girly. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was holding back my thoughts. It's kind of weird, isn't it? No, no, no. Okay, anyways, to each their own. You do whatever you want. I'm sorry. I don't want to... And you're about to work at Lego. I don't want to cause problems for you. Anyway, no, do whatever you want. I'm an asshole. Don't listen to me. Never mind. Moving on. All right, man. Well, I think we can wrap it up on that note. (laughs) <laughs> all right
1: <laughs> what you're an asshole don't listen to you perfect
0: well we'll, we'll, let, we'll wrap it up on that note but roy it's been great chatting with you and you have some awesome stories and uh yeah it's just it's great especially for me like i'm in the ad industry too but like looking at somebody like you you have a lot more experience than me a lot more awards under your belt uh and uh, I, I really look up to you and um yeah it's really cool really i really appreciate you coming on
1: no, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on uh, on board as well.
0: Okay, so um, you All don't right. have to hang up on Zoom, but I'm going to click to the screen. Thanks for watching All and right. thanks for listening. Goodbye.